Good morning. It's great to worship God together. And my mom rang me this morning on FaceTime, and it's snowing home, well, not home, but in my hometown in Virginia. So it was very cool to see it snowing around Christmas time, and while I was simultaneously sweating here in New Zealand. And it just made me think, it's Christmas time. Next week, we have our Christmas program, which many are working on right now. And after the service, they'll come up and do their first rehearsal on the stage for our Christmas play next week. That's going to be a blast. But it, it to get you guys in the spirit and in the mood and to equip you to get other people in the mood, mood I'd, also, I'd just like to ask you a few questions about Christmas. And if you know the answer, that's, that's fine. If you don't, I'll let you know the answer. I just want to know if you guys know, what do you call a kid who does not believe in Santa Claus? What do you call a kid who does not believe in Santa Claus? Well, you call him a rebel without a clause. That's what you call him. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming, bro. I know that everybody wonders, because I've wondered this myself, what nationality is Santa Claus? I've always wondered that. And I'm sure you've wondered as well. He's not Fijian. Of course, he's North Polish. Right? That's, that's what we all know. And, and I know this. I know that everybody's wondered this too. Why are Christmas trees so fond of the past? Well, because the presents are always beneath them. The present, right? And and if you didn't know, in, in our normal alphabet, there are 26 letters. In, in the normal alphabet, there's 26 letters. But in the Christmas alphabet, how many letters are there? There's only 25, of course, because there is Noel, Noel, Noel. Convicted already, bro. Convicted. I've been preparing for so long. And I've been so excited. One year. One year. It's my one time of the year. Oh, there you go. So, on a different note, our, our brother Nathan heads back to the U.S. on December 14th. We're going to miss you, bro. And safe travels. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And prayerfully, we'll see you again some point in the future. That'll be awesome. And this morning, we're finishing out the book of John. So, if you have a Bible, turn over to chapter 21, and we'll finish the book of John. As you do so, I'd like to share this inspiring headline with you. From the news this week. If you take a look on the screen, it says simply, humanity has peaked and we're on the decline. Of course, this is a good way to start your day or your week or your new year. It's just a little bit of inspiration. And they've done a study. They've gathered 120 years of data from I don't know where. And the depressing conclusion is simply humanity has peaked. There's a professor that says there are certain thresholds for our age, our height, 
our strength and our sporting ability. So, for instance, it's taken years to break these new records, and it's unlikely they'll be broken in the future. And so wherever they gathered this data and wherever it came from and however they concluded this, and whatever you think about this, there is a seed of truth within these, and it's that we do have limits. We do have limits, and if you don't think so, if you've never ran a marathon, try to run one this weekend and see how limited your physical body is. Or if you've never learned a foreign language, try to learn a foreign language this week. And you'll see how limited some of our intellectual capacities are. Or spiritually, try not to lust. Try not to worry. And see if you're able. The point is, we have these limits. And what humanity does, for the most part, is try to avoid these limits. Or try to prevent these limits. Which in some cases can be healthy, but spiritually... These are the very limits that reveal our need for the gospel. And spiritually, we need to learn to embrace and face these limits to really see the true meaning of Jesus. And so this morning, as we look at the resurrected Jesus appearing to his disciples, we'll see that because of the resurrection, we can actually face who we really are. We can change and we can always faithfully follow Jesus. Let's pray and read our text This morning, Father, we're so grateful that we can read these words and we're all convinced and we believe that the Bible speaks to every nation, every language, every race, every age, at any time, in any circumstance. And we're so grateful for its relevance in our lives. We pray as we read it and hear it this morning that your spirit really brings to life the truth we need to hear so that we can combine it with application in our lives. God, thank you for 2017. Help us to reflect and look forward to 2018. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's read together, starting in John chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. He's miraculously appeared in the room that was locked, and now he's appearing to them again by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So seven of the disciples. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you, mate. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. This is interesting because these guys are fishermen and both times in the gospel, when it's recorded, they catch fish. It's because of Jesus. In Luke chapter 5, they've been fishing all night. No fish. Jesus says, try that spot. They do. They can't bring in the load. Here again, there's fishermen fishing. They can't catch any fish. Jesus says, how about over there? They don't even know it's Jesus quite yet. It says they didn't realize it, right? So they just take the word of a complete stranger, throw their net, and then they get fish. And so we see, I don't know what the point of that is, but perhaps there is nothing we can do apart from Jesus in some sense. 
And then in verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment in Peter-like fashion around him and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat. <laughs> this is a funny scene, right? Peter jumps in, hey, hey uh, we have a boat here. <laughs> the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. He could have just waited. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. Like, you want to leave us? You bring in the fish. It was full of large fish, 153, which is a good quiz night question. How many fish did they catch in John 21? But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. He then said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? There was a rumor that circulated in the early church that Jesus wouldn't come back until the apostle John died. And so many people believe, well, since he's still living, I still have a chance. And so he's clearing this up. No, that's not what Jesus said. And in verse 24, this is the disciple who testifies to these things. And who wrote them down, we know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose, that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And so what a cool way to end this gospel. Again, in the last few chapters... We've seen that John records details that aren't in the other Gospels. And here again, the reinstatement of Peter, the fish, this is all only in John. And it's appropriate that as the Gospel ends, it's, it's such a gracious end to the Gospel to welcome Peter back into the ministry. Well, let's look at three points from this passage. First, 
facing our frailty. And then second, Jesus actually heals our frailty. And then lastly, we must follow faithfully. In this story, it is important that Jesus forces Peter to face himself. After the catch of fish in verse 9, when they land on the shore and Peter's jumped into the water and they come to shore for, for breakfast. In verse 9 it says, when they landed they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it. And that's an important word, fire, because it's only used twice in the New Testament here when they land and they see this fire of burning coals. And the only other time that it's used in the New Testament is earlier in John chapter 18. And what is that context? Peter is standing outside, outside the place where Jesus is being questioned. And it says it was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire. The exact same Greek word. Only two times it's used in the entire New Testament. They made this fire to keep themselves warm. And Peter is there standing, warming himself by the fire. And so it's the same exact kind of fire. And so for Peter, there's a very clear image of his mind when he denies Jesus. And there's the image of a fire. And now when he sees Jesus and they're about to have this reinstatement and this conversation, you got to imagine being Peter and seeing a similar kind of fire and the images that are being flashed through his head. And it's, it's quite interesting that, that, that Jesus forces Peter to kind of face himself. Because what he also does is he questions Peter three times, which is the exact same Circumstance that happens when he denies Jesus. In chapter 18, they ask Peter twice, You aren't one of this man's disciples too. No, I'm not. Again, you aren't one of this man's disciples too. No, I'm not. The third time, didn't I see you with him in the garden? No, you did not. And then when he chats with Jesus near this fire, it's a similar conversation. Do you love me? Yes, you know everything. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? I'm hurt that you keep asking me. You know all things. Yes, I love you. And, and so this is, this is a probably a painful moment for Peter, isn't it? I can feel, you can kind of feel the imagery around as he's next to the fire. You can kind of sense the frustration at the repeated questions from Jesus, this deliberate conversation. And what's Jesus doing? He's just saying, Peter, you have to face who you really are. See, you were under the impression that your love for me exceeded these disciples. Remember when you said, I will die with you? Remember when you said that publicly? And then you denied me three times? You remember that? Peter, you got to realize you, you, have, you mean well, but you are limited. You are frail. And Peter's hurt. That's what it says in verse 17. And, and I, you can feel this. Sometimes when people leave church for whatever reason and they go on a walkabout for several years or whatever and, and they want to come back. And amen, they want to come back. But you have to say, well, what's been going on? Where have you been going? There's, there is sometimes a defensiveness. Well, why are you asking me that question? Well, that's what Jesus is doing. Hey, I want, I want you to really face who you are. And I'm going to ask you three times. And Jesus isn't satisfied with this, the first superficial answer. Do you love me? Yes, you know I do. Do you love me? Do you love me? 
He wanted Peter to face his frailty head on. This is very important because, as we mentioned in the beginning, humanity tries to avoid and prevent facing our limitations and our own frailty. I don't know why that image keeps popping up. There's this massive amount of time and money and energy poured into the concept of avoiding death. Even in the Middle Ages, there's alchemy on the far left. The alchemy, you could melt down some metals and you could make an elixir that if you drank it, it would make you immortal. That's not real, by the way. But that's what they thought. And so they thought, oh, let's, let's, let's do this so that we can live forever. Or if you prefer in the middle, if medicine can't solve your current problems, what you can do for a mere $30,000 is you can freeze your body. And in the hope that in the future, medicine will advance quick and fast and thorough enough to solve your condition, they'll be able to somehow revive your body, bring you back to life, and restore you to full health. That's real. People do that. It's called Cyronics. And, and there's places in the U.S., Arizona, where they have frozen bodies of people that hope to be brought back to life to prevent their death and hopefully be restored to full health. And then the last question is, can Google solve death? Well, the answer is no. But they have funded a multi-million dollar company called Calico. C-A-L-I-C-O. You can look this up. And one of their chief aims is there's a lot of sec- sec- it's, uh, secretive, a lot of their experiments and, and, and their investigations, but one of their main aims is to try to help man become immortal. I mean, they're throwing like $400, $500 million into these projects. They've assembled teams of people that believe at some point man can achieve immortality. And, and what's behind all that? Behind that is this... You know, there's an interesting thought behind it, but in some, in some sense, it's like we, we want to avoid how limited we are. We want to avoid how frail we are. But Jesus, in contrast, says, no, that's the very point you see your need for me and the gospel message. And that's true for all of us. You know, in 2017, think back. For this past 11 months, for this past 12 months, what was God or what is God trying to currently or has he been trying to get you to face about yourself? And are you allowing God to confront you so that you can be thirsty for grace, so that you can genuinely change? It doesn't matter who you are or what position you hold because Peter was a respected leader in the church. In fact, Paul will call him a pillar in Galatians. But look how frail he is. So it doesn't matter who you are. Even though Peter is a significant leader, he's frail and he's limited. And likewise, we are frail and limited. Often we overestimate ourselves, don't we? But Jesus says, no, you need to look at who you really are. We think we're more loyal or we're more capable or more whatever than we really are. But when you really face yourself, then you see your need for the gospel. If you're on a journey to know God and follow Jesus, just know you have to face your own frailty. You have to face these parts of, of, of who you really are that are sinful and offend God to really understand grace. 
and if you've been following Jesus for five years or ten years, you'll need to continually face parts of yourself to understand who you really are so that God can genuinely change us. Amen? We must face our frailty. Secondly, Jesus heals our frailty. And thank goodness for that. It's not as though we can drink an elixir or freeze our body or invest in calico to solve these issues. Instead, Jesus solves them for us. In verse 15 of our passage, there's an important word, they, when they had finished eating. How many were there? Well, in verse 2 or 3, it says there were seven of them, right? And so they've caught some fish. They've come to the shore. Jesus is made a nice little breakfast meal of fish. And while they had finished eating, this is a public setting here. They've had some fish, they've had their bread, and when they finished, Jesus says kind of publicly and singles Peter out, Simon, do you love me? And, and then he goes on to continually question him. And, 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 and I think that what, what each time he questions him, though, he says, yes, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And this is all saying, look, I, I know you messed up and I'm going to heal you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to bring you back. And you have a role, actually. And I want everybody to know that. I want everybody sitting here publicly to know that you did mess up, but I'm welcoming you back. I'm healing this, and you have a role in the church. You're supposed to take care of my sheep. Now, I know you've been filled with shame, Peter. I know you boasted publicly. I know you denied me. But I want you to know that despite your darkest moment, it wasn't your defining moment. And I want to heal you. I want you to be released from your past. Why do you think I'm asking you the question three times? Why do you think it's sovereign that this fire is here? I want to recreate this to release you from your dark past. Let's see even more in John, in John chapter 1, verse 42. When Jesus initially calls Simon and his brother, it says this. You're Simon, son of John. You'll be called we say Cephas or Hephas, it's Kephas. You'll be called Kephas. And, and so at that point he said, and it translates meaning rock or stone, which is interesting because we, we do understand Peter is kind of the fickle, emotional one. But he sees it and says, you will be called Kephas. Now, nowhere in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, is he ever called that? Never. The only other time Kephas appears is in this passage and in more when Paul refers to it. In 1 Corinthians 15, 5. This is, a, this, is a, this is an important passage because Paul is relating to the Corinthians what he heard when he understood the gospel. And here's what he says. I received what I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Kephas, one of the twelve. Now this is a big deal because this is a what's called a, a church creed. It means that this saying that I received this, Christ died for our, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried on the third day. He, he appeared to Cephas. He appeared to the twelve. That was a saying circulating in the early church, and Paul has heard of it, and so he's inserting it into his letter. Okay, so what's the big deal about this? Well, the early church recognized that when Jesus resurrected and speaks to Peter, 
He's now Kephas. No longer Simon. He's the rock. And Paul knows that this is circulating among the early church. And this is the creed. And that he appeared not to Simon. He appeared to Kephas. I know you denied me. I know you messed up. But I will heal you. I will change you. And then in our passage, it goes on further to say that his death would glorify God. Peter, you're going to be crucified at some point, And let me tell you, it says he, he said this to indicate what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And, and, all, and all this goes to say that, that Jesus is simply saying, your mistakes don't dictate your future. I will heal you. The power of a resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of grace, you will be kephas, and I will heal your frailty. I became a Christian in 1995. I was baptized at the age of 19. A year and a half later, I deliberately walked away from God. I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped going to church, and I deliberately avoided everyone from church. I changed my phone number so that no one could no longer call me. Disciples would come to my door. I wouldn't answer the door. I would see disciples in public. I would walk the other way. For about two years, I lived a life according to my own pleasures and desires. That was in the United States. I was serving in the military. I was transferred to Japan in 1998. And I continued to live out a life based on my own desires and pleasures. Until finally, someone else approached me and said, I want to study the Bible with you. And I thought at this time, okay, I have, I have to surrender because God is clearly chasing me around the globe. And I did, and I surrendered, and I was restored to God, and I was restored to the fellowship, and I praise God for that. That was 1998, and there's a lot of details that are included in that. But what's important is, ten years later, I got married and went into the full-time ministry. And every time I think back, I think, man, I, I, I would never want to share some of this stuff, because it's dark stuff during that time. But it didn't define who God wanted me to be. It didn't dictate my future. Maybe 2017 for you, you've had some spiritual lapses. Maybe you had some decisions that caused shame or regret or guilt. Or maybe you had dark moments in your spiritual life that you never want to revisit. Maybe it wasn't this year. Maybe it's been the past few years. However, because of the resurrection, because of the Holy Spirit, because of these grace, because of grace, those moments don't define you. They don't dictate your future. Or maybe you're searching for God and your journey hasn't been as successful as you hoped. Those mistakes don't define you. Jesus deliberately wants this conversation with Peter to be had so he can say, I will heal you. You're frail and you're limited, but I will heal you. Let 2017 be a reflection for you as you think back and say, man, let let, let me really let grace transform me. Let me really let the, the Holy Spirit transform me. So in 2018 and beyond, the past doesn't define me. Third and lastly, follow faithfully. I love this scene. At some point, they're eating on the beach, 
and Jesus talks to Peter, but at some point they decide to take a stroll along the beach. We don't know exactly when, but we do know that they started to walk because as Jesus is speaking to Peter in verse 20, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. So they're having breakfast, and then at some point, you just got to imagine the fear of Peter, too. Jesus says, hey, Peter, let's take a stroll. Let's have a chat. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know, and so they walk along the beach, and I just, I don't know, it's just... And and Jesus will start to say, you know, in verse 18, perhaps this is the time where they they start taking the walk. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you were dressed, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. In verse 19, it adds some commentary. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. We know that Peter understood this comment as his death. In 2 Peter 1, verse 14, Peter tells the church, I know that I will lay this body aside as the Lord Jesus has made clear to me. So we knew that when Jesus walks, I mean, you have to imagine this. You know, Peter, do you love me? Yes, yes, you know that I love you. Let's take a walk. You're going to be crucified. Well, what about him? (laughs) What about that guy. I mean, what an emotional day for Peter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, 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 oh, this is Jesus. I'll jump in the water for you. I, uh, you're asking me all these questions and let's take a stroll and you're going to be crucified like me. Oh man, it's just, it's, he's, he's in the circle. He's outside of the circle. He's like, I, I just, I don't know what's going on. John is following behind him. But, but what about that guy? Is he going to die too? Is he going to be crucified? Tell me, Jesus, you know all things. And, and I just imagine that I, I would have asked more clarity. So can you clarify when, when, when exactly is this going to happen? <laughs> but he's more concerned with John. And Jesus' response almost, it sounds sharp. Yeah. If I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? What does that have to do with you, Peter? What about him? That is that's completely irrelevant to you following me. And then he'll say, you must follow me, doesn't he? At the end of verse 22, you must follow me. That's the exact same phrase he used when he first called Peter. Come, follow me. And now you must follow me. Now, what's interesting is Jesus tells Peter this information at about 33 or 34 A.D. He says, Peter, you're going to be crucified. You're going to die. Early church fathers placed Peter's death, his crucifixion, at around 66 A.D. So what does that mean? For 30 years, he lived with a death sentence over his head. Imagine that. Imagine Jesus says, you're going to be killed. You're going to be crucified. Man, that would, how would that affect your life for the next 30 years? And what does Peter do? He follows faithfully. In the, in the letters of Peter, he's writing, man, he loves the flock. He shepherds the flock. He's, he's worried about the flock. It's, this is remarkable. For three decades, he still followed faithfully with a death sentence hanging over his head. That's remarkable. 
And, and you see he's a bit shaky in this passage and he hasn't quite at all quite figured out, but he becomes the rock and he follows faithfully. It's important to know that there is no valid excuse to stop following Jesus. There's no excuse. Jesus says, you're going to be crucified. Peter says, oh, no thanks, I'll pass. That's not going to work for my discipleship. How about that guy? I think this is remarkable because people often, and I've probably done this, and you've probably done this, we create excuses to stop following Jesus. Someone spoke to me harshly. That's why I'm upset. Someone didn't speak to me at all. That's why I'm upset. Someone gave me bad advice. Someone gave me no advice. No one came to my aid. People are too involved. It's like, whatever you do, you can't win. People be treating me different after this. People don't treat me at all. Whatever. But, but I've heard it over and over. This is why. This is why. This is why. What is that to you? What is that to you? What does it have to do with you following Jesus? What does it have to do with your response? That's irrelevant. Jesus says, you must follow faithfully. That's challenging. That's challenging. But we're able to. Why? Because we realize, yeah, you know what? I'm frail and I'll fail, but Jesus heals me. And I can continue on. The past doesn't shape my future. It's also following Jesus faithfully is a connection to the church. And Jesus makes that clear. Do you love me? Yes. Take care of the people. Do you love me? Yes. Take care of the people. Do you love me? Yes. Take care of the people. Following Jesus and being connected to the church are one and the same. So you're following Jesus. Yes, yes. Well, love the people. Serve the people. Help each other. That's following Jesus faithfully. In, In conclusion, humanity makes many efforts to avoid and prevent facing our limits. Facing our weakness. Facing our frailty. God, in complete contrast, says, no, you must face who you really are. You must face how limited you are. How weak you are. How frail you are. How sinful you are. Why? Because then, and only then, can you appreciate and understand the magnitude of God's grace. I encourage everyone here to take time before 2017 ends. And reflect and say, what is God trying to get me to face about myself? And allow God to confront you about that. And then secondly, allow the grace to transform you in 2018 and beyond. Mistakes don't define who you are. And let's all make decisions to follow Jesus faithfully, despite who is or who isn't doing whatever around us. Amen. Amen.